Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. God just completely, like, as during the, the, the first service, God was like, you need to preach this message, the second service, a separate one than the one I preached this morning. So if you were here at first service, you're getting something completely different, and that's because God trusts you. Because first service, they may have been a little droggy, but they, they, they're like, you guys are, you guys are woke, so you're going to handle this. Uh, it's going to be a good Sunday. Uh, just want to talk a little bit about Speed of Light, about some of the stories and things like that. As, as Pastor Duck said, we're the number one missions sending district. We send more missionaries out, and we send them faster than everybody else, too. That's also the, the other side that's kind of a unique coin. It's taking other guys 18, to, 18 months to two years to raise their budget. And our missionaries are, I think, are right at 15, 14 to 15 is the average wait time. So we're like sending them faster. We're sending more. And if the trend continues in four to five years, we will be the number one missions district worldwide uh, as far as number of missionaries out on the field, just because we're putting out so many each year, which is awesome. Except for we have a lot of projects that we have to raise money for. And, and, and I just want to say thank you so much for your giving. Uh, it makes a difference. And I mean, sometimes you don't even see that difference, but there's... I've been able to see firsthand, and some of you, if you've ever had, if you have family that lives on the coasts, uh, during the Convoy of Hope has, has been one of our biggest missions uh, projects that we've ever taken on. Uh, we've helped purchase them their entire, um, uh, their, their mobile command center to help and go into these disaster areas and, and, and present the gospel message and bring hope to people that are hurting. And so that's something that you have a direct line into of that. And not only that, you have a missions board back here, and if you just want to go back there and look, Almost every single missionary out there has received uh, multiple things from Speed of Light. Uh, here, even in your own city at the University of uh, Texas in San Antonio, UTSA, they have a Chi Alpha group where we've purchased their sound system uh, so that they can reach more and more students on the campus uh, for, the, for the cause of Christ. And so there's, there's, there, I'm going more, and I'll tell more stories later. Um, but in, in my life, I, I was a missionary, and we were speaking in schools and doing school assemblies, and none of that wouldn't have been possible uh, had it not been for Speed of Light partnering with us to provide us our essential transportation and creative communication to where we can step on a platform in schools and, 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 and speak to students and then invite them to night events through their local uh, FCAs. And, and, and we, we did one through the FCA at Liberty High School and Junior High. And at that service, 90% of the students that were there came forward to accept Jesus as a personal Savior. And none of that would have been possible had it not been for the sacrificial giving of people just like you that, that partnered with us, that partnered with Speed the Light uh, to make those things possible. And I'm excited. Again, I was t- t- telling Pastor Doug, I'm going to go to Greece and see some Speed the Light vehicles in action. Um, and, and it was interesting because that's one of the vehicles we purchased this year. And getting a chance to see that uh, will be something I'm, I'm truly looking forward to. So um, I'm excited about these opportunities to see what our missionaries are doing, and, and they're doing a phenomenal work. We get the updates in, in a, uh, uh, via newsletters, and sometimes they'll send us videos just saying, hey, here's what Speed of Light is doing, uh, and it, it, none of that's possible without you. Uh, before I go any further, I'm going to introduce you to my family. Uh, this is my, my reason for living. My, um, they're in ministry with me. You know, this is not, we're not a family that does things separately. We do everything together. A lot of times they travel with me, but uh, my wife's also on staff, so she's, she has responsibilities at church. Um, but these are my, my lovely, lovely family. They, um, my wife is the smoking hot redhead. Uh, she is amazing. She is far greater than I ever deserved. 
Uh, I, I joke with people all the time. I convinced her to marry me. I told her I was rich, and I didn't get her eyes checked. Those are the things that I told her. Uh, part of that's true. Um, I, I did not get her prescription fixed until after we got married, and she could actually see me. Uh, but that's okay. We married for love. That's what I tell people. Uh, but no, she's an amazing part of me and the better part of my life. And then those are my three lovely children, Braylon, Emery, and Landon. Braylon is my oldest, my athlete, my competitive one. My daughter is anti-athletic, but she is also the favorite. She is my favorite. She is my wife's favorite. She is everyone's favorite, especially those that know all three of them. She's the favorite. She's artistic. She can draw things. She can... She painted a, a Christmas tree the other day, and I'm like, that's way better than I could ever do, like, even now. I would have to print that and, like, color it in, paint by numbers or something to compete with my daughter's artistic ability. My youngest one is nicknamed Chunk Chunk because he is, he loves to eat. Let's be honest. Like, that is his thing. He is hungry all the time. Uh, he's a ball of energy, and he is a daredevil, and I'll talk about that later. But there's, there's, a, a, there's a difference raising boys and girls. Anybody have boys and girls in your house? See, I grew up in a house where it was boys, and then all my cousins were basically boys. I had one girl cousin when I was, like, 13, so, like, like don't even count her, even though she's a sweet girl and all that stuff, but, you know, she was a baby when I was in junior high and high school, so, like, it's, you know, don't know anything about girls, right? So, when I had my daughter, it just changed my whole world, like, everything. Like, I'm the protective dad, I'm the, you're not dating till you're 37 dad, that's me. Like, that's my job, is to make sure there's no, like... It was almost like when my oldest one had a girlfriend at school. It's like, yeah, whatever. But I'm like, if my daughter ever came home and said she had a boyfriend, whoo So I've been training Braylon to whoop any boys and beat up any boys that tried to, uh, and he actually almost, he didn't actually threaten anyone, but he was like, he saw one of the guys that apparently liked my, my daughter was like, would you like to eat a fist or something like that? Said something like, real jokingly, I'm like, hey, can't joke about that. I mean, I'm glad you did it, but don't. <laughs> Don't threaten anyone or anything like that and get in trouble for that. So, you know, just different things like that that I'm like, I'm glad she's in the middle because my youngest one's a tank. Like, he's going to be like middle linebacker guy. And then he's got, and she'll have an older, so all through high school, she'll have a brother there, protector. Yes. That's a win. But boys and girls are so different when it comes to, like, how they, like, how we interact with them and how they, uh, they grow. And it, it, was, it was neat to watch. So, like, my, my sons are very daredevils. Like, they will just do anything, you know, like, hey, you want to go do this? Sure. You want to do that? Sure. So one of the things was like, you know, going to swimming pools when they can't swim, uh, my youngest one who can't swim, but his older brother and sister can, doesn't want his life jacket. And so he's just like jumping, like he'll just jump right on in. He trusts us to catch him, but he's just like, and so we were playing football at family camp and he's just on the edge, just going, like, I'm just waiting. And if someone close to him caught the ball, he's like, I just, I just dove in after him. It was great. It was the, the funniest thing to watch, a little chunk, chunk, diving. But it wasn't always like that with my daughter. My, 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 my oldest son was, you trust me? Yeah, I trust you, Dad. And we just jump in. I'm right here. My daughter would stand on the edge and just be like, are you sure you're going to catch me? Are you sure? Yes, baby, I promise. Let's go closer. I'm like, any closer, and I'm going to be out of this pool. My sons were like, scoot back, Dad. <laughs> like, there's no way you're jumping across the pool. I'll do it, I promise. You know, like, that's my son's big thing. I promise. I, you know, like, you can't promise that. I mean, you're going to go into the Olympics if you can jump this far. 
with my daughter. And she was like real hesitant. My son's just jump in and she, my daughter basically like falls in, like collapses into the water. And over time, over time, she got to where she would trust me. But she's not daring like them. But what's, what's the fear though? What's the fear when it comes to jumping into that pool when you can't swim? That you're going to drown, right? Let's be honest. That's the fear. It's like, if I jump in and they're not there to catch me, this is problematic. Once you can swim, that's no longer an issue because you can feel like, hey, I can get to the side. I'm good. But when, it, when you're a little kid and you know that you can't swim, there's a fear that comes into this idea of taking this leap into your dad's arms. And eventually they get their trust in me. Where's their, you know, what's, what's to keep them to, what's causing them to jump in? Do they trust me enough to catch them? And today I want to talk to you about trust. The fear in, drum, in jumping of any, any kind is gravity, right? Gravity's the issue. So because you're the second service and you're smart, you can handle this. If I drop this, what's going to happen? Okay, just because I didn't hear a whole lot of answers. By a show of hands, who thinks if I drop this, it's going to hit the ground? All right, see, second service, you're getting there. You're getting there. Some of you didn't raise your hand. I'm a little concerned where you went to school. May have been in Houston. We don't know. But if I drop this, will it hit the ground? What? Impossible. What if it's a piece of paper? It, it still fell, hit the ground. I just need something lighter, right? Surely if I let go of this, it'll hit the ground, right? Raise your hand if you think that if I let go of this, it's going to hit the ground. Some of you still questioning me. Some of you need to go back to school. You know what? I think if we made it into an airplane. Now, who thinks if I throw it, that it won't hit the ground? Just go ahead and raise your hand. All right, who thinks? Oh, there's a few of you that need Jesus. So if I throw this, will it still hit the ground? Raise your hand if you think it's going to hit the ground. Some of you still not getting it. What is, gravity is a constant in life. Because gravity is one of those things that we look at as a scientific fact, a truth that comes. And so when it comes to trusting gravity, it's always a constant. It's always going to be there. That's not going to be something that's going to change. Right? It's not like all of a sudden, even if you go to the moon, there's still gravity. Which means if I did the same experiments on the moon, the exact, the exact same way, it would still happen the same way eventually they would find the ground because there is gravity on the moon. It's just not what it is on earth. And there's a very cool scientific fact. If you drop a feather and a hammer at the same time, they will hit the moon at the exact same time because gravity is constant. The only thing that changes it here with what I just did is wind resistance. But gravity is the same. For the scientific people, it's 9.8 meters per second per second. But for the rest of us, that just means you're going to fall at the same rate. And you're going to get faster and faster and faster. Why? Because gravity is pulling. Why is that important? Why are we taking science on Sundays? Well, because 
I need you to understand this. When we trust in God, it is like we're trusting in gravity. And a lot of times when we want to trust God, we view him the same way we view our parents or people in our life. And we think we can trust him only so far because eventually they're going to let us down. And that's how we view God. And that's not how God is. That's not how God operates. God is a constant, which means I can always trust him. I can always put my trust in him. And that's what makes gravity so important in this lesson today is because we need to understand that when we put our trust in God, it's not just for a moment, it's for a lifetime. It's not just because it's, it's, it's what we do right now, but it's, it's a constant in our life that I can always trust him no matter the circumstances. And that's what's different when it comes to trusting God versus trusting man. And oftentimes when we hear, these, we hear things like, take, you know, we just need to take a leap of faith. Do you know there's nowhere in Scripture you will find the words leap of faith? Go ahead and Google it. It's not in there. The term leap of faith was actually coined by a German philosopher in the 1800s. And he was reading uh, the, the Genesis. And he was reading about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And he couldn't fathom him doing that. He couldn't fathom Abraham laying his son down willingly ready to sacrifice him. And he couldn't fathom him. He said, how did he know? How did he know that God was going to do something? How did he know that God was going to provide? And he said, in order for all this to exist, he had to take a leap of faith. There's more to that story, and I'll get into later. But the idea is that once you've been with Jesus long enough, and you see him take you out of struggle after struggle after struggle, you begin to put your trust in him. That's the key in Abraham's life. When it comes to trusting in God, it's about steps. It's about taking the step without seeing the whole staircase, to quote Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King said, faith is being, having, being willing to take the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. That is an accurate representation of trusting in Jesus. In Luke chapter 5, I'm going to talk to you today about one of my favorite Bible characters, Peter, and a lot of that's because uh, I associate with him because it he didn't always do what was right. He didn't always do the right thing. He didn't always get all the accolades for being the best. But he was willing to trust God in some areas of his life. So in Luke chapter 5, we're going to find the first area he began to trust. In verse 1, it says, And on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, and he was standing at the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out and were washing their nets. Uh, getting into the boat, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he was finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for the catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Now, having been to the Sea of Galilee, as forementioned with your pastor, we actually, they, they cast out their nets while we were on the Sea of Galilee, and they brought it up. Nothing. Why? Turns out, most of the fishing is done at night. So for Jesus to ask the disciples who were fishermen to cast out their nets in the middle of the day was very odd because they weren't expecting to catch nothing. And we talk, I talked to uh, our, our, one of our guides um, who, who leads trips for the district and does a lot of those things. He said, I've maybe seen two fish caught in the years of doing this. So for them to do this and then reading on, I just want to put that in context because Jesus is asking them to do something out of the ordinary. 
And in verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the nets were breaking. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he, uh, for he and all he, who he was uh, with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken in. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, and their partners with, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for now you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats into land, they left everything and followed him. I know we're talking about missions today, but the first step is always going to be, do you trust Jesus to lead you? Do you trust Jesus to lead you? Trust also uh, leads us to Jesus. That, that was the beginning step. When you, when, for those of you in this room that you've accepted Jesus into your life, there was a moment where you had to put your trust into a Savior that you've never met, that you, a Savior that you just now discovered, that you just heard about, and now you're coming down to an altar and confessing, like, I love you, Jesus. I, I, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I've renounced the things I've done in my past that I can't change, that I can't go back and fix. I trust you with my life. And it begins with that moment of saying, if I can trust Jesus with my salvation then I can trust him to lead me. I can trust Jesus to lead me. And that's important when it comes to uh, putting our trust into Jesus. And trust begins with that single step. Being willing to say, you know what? I'm willing to take that step of faith. The second thing, first you need to learn to trust Jesus to lead you. The second thing is you need to trust Jesus in any situation. That's sometimes hard to, to fathom. Sometimes it's easy to say, yeah, I trust Jesus until it's something you think is too big for him. I remember the first time I prayed for God to do something, and it actually happened. Like, I was 13 years old, around there, and we were going to Camp Rama. We were going to National Camp Rama in Eagle Rock, Missouri, and um, we, we had just a slightly more than we, we could fit on a bus, so my, my mom and her friend were driving one of the other commander's wives in uh, a, a separate car. So I'm in that car with a friend of mine, and there's a bus. We're following the bus, or the van, excuse me. And so, they're, you know, we're following and following. I'm just taking a nap, right, because it's a long trip. Girls are talking. I could care less. So I just take a nap. And I'm awoken by my mom saying, Stancil, we need you to wake up, and we need you to pray. And that's just automatically like, let me get woke up, you know, like the nine o'clock service. They were a little droggy. Like, what exactly are you asking of me? Like, what, like, what is it that's wrong? What do I need to be praying for? And she goes, well, we're not following the right van. And I look up and I see a white van. Now, typically, church vans are white, right? It's, that's how they come from the Ford dealership. That's how they, you know, that's their fleet vehicle. So there's usually not painted. However, our church van was brown. How do you follow the wrong van? It's the only brown one. But I digress. So in Oklahoma City, in all the confusion, our van that we should have been following went east. We were headed to Kansas. And if you've ever been to Kansas... There's nothing to see there except for the Wizard of Oz. 
I just, if you ever go visit, I just spoiled everything you're ever going to experience in Kansas. Anyway, so I, I looked at the map, and I, uh, there was a map, and I was like, we can, because, you know, back in the day before GPS and cell phones, this is years ago for you youngins that are like, why didn't you just text them or call them and ask them where they were? Why don't you just pull it up on your phone? Shh. You have no idea the struggles. So I pull out the atlas, slap it down, and I see a road, and I see a path to get back onto the road, like further down the road at the uh, Missouri-Oklahoma border. And I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray right now, and I just pray that the Lord guides us and directs us, and we're going to meet them right here on this map. And I'm like pointing to this rest stop. We just pray, just like that's what's going to happen. Shut it. And lo and behold, we pull in as they are pulling in. And I am just like, are you serious? And I was, at that moment, I was like, we can literally pray and God will do something. Yeah, I was young. I was 12. I was naive. Maybe all, all those things. And maybe it was coincidence. But I've seen God deliver things much larger. My daughter with bacterial, bacterial meningitis at three months old miraculously healed overnight to the fact that the doctors come in and saying she must not have bacterial meningitis, but everything we've tested on her says that she does. And they, their, their excuse was, well, maybe we just had a false positive. Maybe that was it. And I'm like, you grew bacteria in a Petri dish. Like, like you saw that she was basically lethargic, and now overnight she is completely healed. Uh, her vision has been healed because of... Uh, uh, of things God has done in our life. One camp experience, I'll just, you know, just, I got time, right? You got all day. <laughs> I'm not long-winded, I promise. Uh, we were barely even, we weren't even married. We were taking my wife's uh, youth group to a camp, and uh, we prayed for one of her friends, one of my, my wife's uh, friends that she grew up with. She was a little, you know, junior high girl, and she wanted to be able to see, and this girl had, like, thick glasses. You know what I'm talking about? the ones that you can like burn ants or incinerate entire buildings with. Like that was this girl's glasses. And she says, I just, I want to get rid of my glasses. I just, I want to see. And so we prayed and she immediately was healed. And she's never had glasses ever, ever again in her life, even to this day. And she, we brought her on stage because it was like this, this was a miracle. And the speaker had her stand right there and got right up next to her and started just showing her numbers. And she was saying it over and over again, like the right numbers every time, all the way back, without hesitation or anything. It was an immediately, God did something. That does not mean that all the times that ends the way you want. We've, we've gone through with some friends with some serious um, battles in their life where you begin to say, do I trust you, God? Watching their three-year-old child fight for his life for a year in a hospital bed, only to feel like in the whole time thinking, God, you're going to do something big only to end with a four-year-old's death and funeral. And in all that, walked with the parents and it walked with, you know, my wife is very close to her and it was hard to watch. It's hard to be, you know, because you have no answer. Like we've been praying for this. We've been praying and praying and praying. But that mom and dad never once gave up their trust in God. Even to this day, still trust God fully in every situation of their life. First, you have to trust God to lead you. But just like Peter, you need to learn to trust God in every situation. 
on the Sea of Galilee one day, there's Peter, and he's sitting, in, and Jesus is asleep on the boat. And the waves start coming and start just really destroying things, and all of a sudden, you know, Peter and them go down there and like, hey, Jesus, we're all going to die unless you do something. Like, the, the, in hindsight, they should have known that if Jesus is on the boat asleep, everything's probably all right. And sometimes you need to know that Jesus is still on the throne in the middle of your storm. So anyway, Peter's a rookie, didn't know that. So Jesus rebukes him, calls him a storm, and they're like, whoa, that was impressive. The next time they're on a boat and there's a storm, Jesus ain't there. And so now they're really freaking out because they're like, maybe we will die this time because Jesus isn't here on the boat. And Jesus walks out, and in the middle of all this, Peter realizes it is Jesus, calls out to him, and Jesus invites Peter to walk out on the water. And I want you to understand that the storm did not stop while Peter is walking on the water. That Peter is walking on the waves that are crashing against the boat. This wasn't like a calm water. It wasn't until Jesus picked up his hand that he calmed the waves. Are you willing to trust Jesus in the middle of your storm? And finally, do you trust Jesus in any situation? I'm going to read, I'm going to read this. I know that was the, the second point. I'm going to read this, and I want you to understand. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture and favorite stories about Peter. In chapter 21 of John, this is past the resurrection. This is Jesus coming back and presenting himself to the disciples. They're fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Or Simon Peter says to him, I'm going fishing. You ever have one of those days where you're just like, you know what? I'm going to go hunting a deer blind and get away from everything. And then the disciples said, we'll go with you. So they went out in the boat, and they caught nothing that night. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples did not know it was him. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast your nets onto the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And so they cast it, and now that they were not even able to put it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple who Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had stripped down for work, and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came on the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from land, about a hundred yards. When they got out, got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you have caught. Can you trust Jesus in every situation? Can you trust him to lead you? And can you trust him with what you have? Jesus didn't need fish. The Bible tells us that there's fish already on it. He's already got breakfast made. They do that in Israel. They eat breakfast like with fish. Not me, man. Give me bacon. I'm glad I'm a Gentile sometimes. Side note, had nothing to do with my message. Peter was willing to give, and the disciples were willing to give Jesus fish, even though he already had fish. Jesus was seeing if they would be obedient with what they have. It's easy to sit here and talk about. I could, I could talk about tithing, and that's, that's not one my, my, my point today. But I remember distinctly going back to a story with me. This is my speed of light story. When I was a junior high, or a, a 16-year-old kid, I just turned 16, and I went and got a job at Sonic because that's what 16-year-old kids did when I was a kid. We went and got jobs. 
course, my dad will tell me, like, they got jobs when they were, like, 12. And my grandfather's like, when I was six, I was picking cotton. Like, that's what my, that's what my grandfather talks. Funny story about my grandfather. And uh, he's just a great dude. And it's been hard this year losing him. But he'd always, he, he snuck into the military. Like, he lied about his age so he can go into the military. So, like, at his funeral, like, they're coming in, like, doing the service thing. And it's like, man, I don't even know if they know or don't. Or obviously, he can't get in trouble now. Uh, but I always asked him, like, oh, why? He's like, well, after, you know, a few years of picking cotton, you'll just go join the military, too. I was like, touche. But I, I remember I got my first job at, at Sonic, and I felt so awesome. I made $87 on my first check. I was rolling. I didn't have any expenses other than gas, so I filled up my car. It cost me $12 to fill up my gas tank, because back then it was 87 cents a gallon. So... Yeah, it was great. So I had like 60 bucks left to my name after, and then I, you know, I tithe on that, and I do all that. And I was sitting in a youth service that Wednesday night, and I literally felt God say, give me what you have. And I'm like, okay, Lord, this is my dating money. I mean, I'd rather give you my gas money before I give you my dating money. You know, there's things you have, conversations you have with Jesus when you're a 16-year-old boy. Act like you didn't. Anyway, so I'm like, rationally, he's like, do you trust me? I'm like, yes, I trust you. I said, okay. So I gave it. Just speed lights. It was a speed light offering they had given up. I didn't know they were taking it. I was like, I'll give it to you. I trust you. And later that day, my mom gave me 80 bucks for some reason. I don't know. I did something around the house. I don't remember what it was. I'm glad I did it. I mean, let's be honest. Maybe I'm just a favorite. I don't know. But it was at that moment I realized I could trust God with what I have. When I ever got my first raise, I went to work for a new company. I got $10 an hour. That made it harder because it's like, whoa, that's a lot. That's a bigger check. And I was making like $250 instead of $87. And I was like, okay, God, I'm willing to trust you with even this. Some people believe that more you have, the easier it is to give. No, because that number is bigger. Me and my wife have a goal this year to do, or in 2019, to do $10,000 given to Speed of Light by ourselves. It's going to take a miracle. It's going to take some sacrifice. But remember, faith is not about, like, hey, I'm going to write a million-dollar check. If you can do that, do that. That'd be great. But that, that's not the world I live in. To do something that big would, would take sacrifice on our parts. It's about doing our, our, our parts to raise funds, um, even that means doing a challenge. I did a wings challenge a few years ago and raised like 1,600 bucks. If I have to do that again, eat some hot wings so much that it burns my soul, I will do it. But do you remember Abraham at the beginning of the story where I talked about the leap of faith and I talked about the sacrifice? Why was he willing to sacrifice his most prized possession? Because for 25 years, he watched Jesus, he watched the Lord deliver him out of circumstance after circumstance after circumstance, after mistake after mistake after mistake. Once you walk for 25 years and you spend time every day with God, guess what can happen? You can put your trust in him even when the rest of the world thinks it's crazy. Even when the West world says, why are you, you know, you're going through so much in your life. The storms are raging against you. Why don't you just curse God and die? What's the difference? How can Job look at his wife and say, I trust God completely when everything's falling apart? Because when we trust God, it's not just in, the, in, in this moment, but it begins with that first step. It begins with us accepting him and walking with him. And the longer we walk with him, the more we begin to trust him. 
And so my ask for you today is, can you trust God with what you have? Sometimes trusting in God is, is difficult, as I said. And many of you in this room, maybe you're going through a storm. Maybe you're going through that season. Because, it, again, it's easy to serve God. It's easy to trust in God when everything's great. What about when the storm comes? Are you willing to, to, to be like Peter and put your trust in him? I want everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. At the beginning of this, I talked about trusting God to lead you. And trusting God through the circumstances that you face, the storms that you, you experience. And so what I'm asking for you today in this moment is maybe some of you in this place, you're going through that storm. Maybe you're going through the most difficult season. Maybe nobody in this church knows what you're going through. I want you to know that God sees it. Even though you may not think he's on the boat with you, he sees you and he's coming to you and he's going to be there with you in the middle of your storm. I can trust you just like gravity. He is a constant in my life and he wants to be a constant in your life. And so that, that, that whatever you face, he's going to be there. So maybe you, you right where you're at, you're thinking about those things that are overwhelming you. And I want you to know that Jesus has got you. He's got you covered. And maybe there's some of you here today and trusting Jesus with your finances, trusting Jesus to, to give in an offering is a stretch. And I get that. But again, I'm not, I don't want anybody here to sell their farm. I told you that story about me giving my, my check. That wasn't because I didn't have any bills. I, I, again, that was my dating money. That was play money. That wasn't uh, for my car payment. That wasn't for any of those things. I'm not, God, God would never ask you to give all that away. What God asks is in, in our, with what we have that's extra, what we have that wouldn't have existed can we trust God that when he asks us to give, we obey? We trust God to ask us to do, we obey. Those are the things that happen. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the sacrifices you made for us. For every person in this room that, that feels like they're in the middle of a storm. For every person here that feels they're on, all alone and, and everything's crashing around them. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now that you begin to show up and you begin to do the things that only you can do. That you bring hope and restoration in marriages. You bring hope and restorations in the most impossible of circumstances, Lord Jesus. I ask that you do that in their lives right now in your holy name. And I ask that you begin to allow us to trust in you with what we have. That we can freely give and freely be obedient to your calling and your leading. And we give you the praise and honor for it in your name. Amen. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.